Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. Hey, everybody. It's the Christmas season and the Hanukkah season, and we're here. I have my Christmas tree up. Um, I haven't put the ornaments on yet. I'm taking it slow. Nobody in my family helps me, um, which is kind of telling because um, we are, um, as, as a friend would say, my husband and I, we're, we're, or my daughter is really a cashew because I'm a Catholic and my husband's Jewish. So a cashew is the, <laughs> the melding of those two religions. And, God bless you. Uh, <laughs> uh, wait, I'm going to turn. And um, so, so when it comes to Christmas, it's sort of like my husband. I don't know. He always finds that these um, these Catholic holidays and Christian holidays are incredibly messy. Like, you know, Christmas leaves the needles all over the floor, and Easter there's like grass everywhere, and you know, eggshells and all that. So <laughs> there's a lot of pomp. But then I've said to him, I'm like, okay, let's do, let's do the Jewish stuff. I don't know how to do the Jewish stuff. I would be happy to do the Jewish stuff, but rather than just decorating the tree by myself, which is how it happens every year. And, um, and he doesn't know any of that. Like he stopped going to, to temple any, after he made his bar mitzvah, once the checks had cleared, he was done with it, you know? So, <laughs> fair. That's uh, totally fair. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like Jewish celebrations have a script and I would be out of place. I would be lost. I yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to follow like a Passover and things. I that It's so cool. Cause it seems like it's so it, it, it's, but I, I would just be lost. I, I would, I would forget my lines. We literally write it down for you, you know? Well, that would help. Cue cards. If you had cue cards, I, I could probably, I could probably do that. I could do that. You know what I love about the, the Jewish services I've been to? They feel so ancient. You know, they, they still yeah. feel like they have that, that sense of the old world. Like I was watching the Frontline documentary. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's fascinating. It's about the life of Christ, um, but very much told through a historical perspective. And with, um, with the, whole, the whole background that in the early days of Christianity, there was no Christian church. And of course, Jewish was Jesus. Jesus was Jewish and they um, <laughs> they um, actually melded their services so the early Christians went to Jewish services which I thought was interesting they had a lot more in common than not you know we haven't done our introduction so I'm going to do that now so Bill Sutton is here as he always is manning the controls hey Bill hey Annette so I'm Bill Sutton I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group I wish I had a Santa hat on yeah I need to go Oh, oh, oh he's got oh, is wearing his Charlie Brown Christmas tree shirt. Looks a lot like that Rockefeller Center tree, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Hi, I'm Joe Shaw, I'm the executive editor. And yes, I'm wearing one of my Peanuts Christmas uh, t-shirts. This is one of about a dozen. Nice, nice. Um, I'm Annette Hinkle. I am the arts and living editor at the Express News Group, and I sort of lead this weekly round table of rabble rousers and we also have michelle trowering with us say hello michelle hi annette my name is michelle trowering and i'm the features writer with the express news group i have no holiday shirts on yeah no holiday michelle also wrote a really great story this week about uh, uh, local houses of worship and how they're going to be dealing with the holiday season this year um, but it does seem like that kind of year like did you see that tree they got in cincinnati 
No. Oh, it was the worst. You thought the Rockefeller Center one was a little bedraggled looking. The one in Cincinnati. It's just such a Charlie Brown tree. Um, but then I realized I was watching the, the light up of the Rockefeller Center tree the other night on, on Channel 4. And they actually, I didn't realize this, they actually bring in people that drill extra branches and stuff into it. The tree gets extensions. Oh, yeah, a little plastic surgery on the tree. <laughs> well, so do all the performers. So that works out all right. That's fine. And I, you know, you mentioned that, you know, we're coming up on the season now. Um, I think Thanksgiving being so late this year, too, um, it just feels like we're, we're already in it and we don't have any Christmas decorations up yet. Uh, we've been dealing with a little remodel project and, um, but it, it just feels like it's getting away from us. We're, we're beginning to panic now because we are now into the first week of December and we don't have a single decoration up and it just feels like for so many reasons, this is such a stressful holiday season. But in the middle of the pandemic, Joe, what else have you got to do? I mean, put your decorations up. It's true. It, you'd, it, you'd feel like this would be the year to go all out, no question. But uh, we haven't we haven't gotten to it yet. We're going to get to it this weekend, though, for sure. We went early this year. I'm like, you know what? I bring a bring a tree in the house. I just need something. That's what we're usually week after the weekend after. Thanksgiving is when we get our tree usually, so we're we're a week behind. Mine's up. Pretty. That's beautiful. Lovely. Yeah. Not many ornaments on it yet. Because again, this is a solo project. You know, God forbid somebody <laughs> hang a damn Santa on the tree other than me. But uh, come on, guys. <laughs> just having a tree in your house with the lights on is nice. Yeah. It, it, it helps. I don't usually decorate, but maybe, like you said, maybe this year is the year to start. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll go get a small little tree. Buy Santa suits for your dogs, at least. So. There you go. Something. So we usually make a pilgrimage to the Rockefeller, Rockefeller Center tree every year. I'm actually just fine that we're missing it this year because it kind of looks very similar year to year. I mean, it's a lovely <laughs> thing to do, and I, it's very festive, but I kind of don't miss it. So just when they, when they lit the tree on TV, I just stood really close to Dana. Uh, just to get the experience of being in Rockefeller Center to see the tree. They pulled buses in front of it so people couldn't see the lighting. I thought that was really easy because <laughs> all these people showed up anyways to watch the lighting and they, they put like city buses with garbage bags between them. So not only in New York. This is such, such a strange season this year. It really is. So is there, I was wondering, is there a menorah anywhere near the Rockefeller Center tree? That's a good question. I, I don't know. I have no idea. But I would say the Rockefeller Center tree is a very secular Christmas tree. Because I've always divided the holiday into the secular Christmas and the religious Christmas. Technically, the trees themselves are a fairly pagan symbol. They right? are. I mean, you, know, you got the, the Yule logs, and that was a crazy tradition, I guess, in Norway or Sweden or wherever. You know, you read, I've, I've written about the Yule log thing, which is like, you think it's just like a fruitcake size thing you put in your fireplace, but no, it's actually a giant whole tree and that you slowly feed into the fire trunk first for like a week or two. I didn't know that. And you just keep pushing it in and burning it until it's all gone. Yeah. Fire hazard much? Yeah. It's, it sounds like a, like deep frying a frozen turkey, probably not our best of our holiday tradition. What, what could go wrong with that? If you live in a yurt, it's probably a lot safer to do that. So, it's, you know, nowadays it may not be so easy. I don't know. Do Norwegians live in yurts? No, I don't know. I don't. I don't think of them. A yurt dwelling people, but I don't know. <laughs> they may not be a yurt dwelling people. I apologize <laughs> to all the Norwegians out there for assuming that. You know, I thought Michelle's story this week 
just sort of made the point though that it is such an odd season and and so much of it is we're not able to comfort ourselves at a time when we're already stressed out and that was sort of the theme i think of your story michelle was that all of the churches and synagogues and all the various houses of worship are just struggling to figure out at a time of need for their communities they they are literally uh you know in the case of saint john's episcopal church in southampton locking their doors on an order when they had had their doors open forever as you as you mentioned in the story it's just an awful feeling to not be able to gather together right exactly that was the tradition that started at 9-11 and it was the church uh, having its doors open you mean correct yeah and it was a way for congregants to go somewhere to have some peace, to have some comfort, and to lock the doors at a time when people arguably need those exact same things right now was devastating, um, not only for the congregants, but for the reverend. You know, it crushed him. He hated to have to do that, uh, but he did because of COVID. Yeah, I, I, I just can't even imagine. I mean, we all feel it not being able to be around uh, family this time of year and, and friends, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, the church, the, the churches and synagogues being shut down. I think Rabbi Joshua Franklin talked about everybody being emotionally fried in your story. And I thought that was just a perfect description for how all of us are walking wounded right now. We're all just walking around emotionally fried. That's a great way to describe it. And, and church and churches and temples, are, are places that we go to try and deal with that. And we just don't have that option. Right. Well, at least that limited capacity. Yeah. There's the option. Yeah. I was curious. So that's how they've been doing it lately. And I, it just seemed so, so in recent weeks, like how have the, how have the local churches and synagogues been dealing with services? Have they had them in person, but only at a small capacity or um, just curious about how, how they've been doing it so yeah, far. Yeah, there's that. And I believe that most of them are taking their directive from the state, but there are some bishops who are limiting capacities saying 50% isn't small enough. You need to, you know, cut that down. Uh, some other congregations are meeting strictly via Zoom. Uh, the Unitarian Universalists in Bridgehampton, a lot of their congregation, they're high risk population. So even those, I think it's a quarter who are not, even that quarter don't feel comfortable meeting up. And um, Reverend Kimberly Quinn Johnson said, you know, this is a year of sacrifice so that we can all be together again in person. And that's just, you know, what they're looking at the holiday season as as well. Yeah. Well, I feel like next year is gonna be uh, particularly joyous <laughs> if we get through this. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like next holiday season will be something really special if we can get through this one, that's for sure. It's interesting that, that the that the churches, I, I think, did you get the impression that even given the, the Supreme Court ruling last week that the, the, the churches and synagogues are going to, congregations are going to, still limit occupancy even though the supreme court came in and said that you know the state really can't tell them that a hundred percent yes yeah a lot of them already have plans in place to say we are only letting 50 percent people in 
Some churches are doubling or even quadrupling their offerings to allow for overflow to go into a church building and hosting the larger services in the parish buildings or typically seat more humans. Uh, so yeah, they're all saying safety first, health first, um, you know, spiritual health is one thing, physical health is another. So we're gonna try our best to address both in the best way that we can. And they're all requiring mask wearing out here, I'm guessing. Absolutely, and there's no singing allowed, which has been a long time practice, uh, just to try to keep everyone safe. I don't really understand the entire Supreme Court ruling, and I just wondered if you guys knew it a little bit better. I mean, did, it, did the Supreme Court basically said that the state has no right to limit the number of people who show up to any house of worship? I think it was a little more subtle than that. I've done some reading on it because I was really intrigued by the ruling. My, fir my first reaction to the ruling was like everybody else. It was sort of, I was a little taken aback, but I have to tell you, um, I'm sort of, I just find the, the ruling intriguing and, and I'm a First Amendment guy. I mean, you know, that's the amendment that protects what we do too. And, and I do think keeping the First Amendment strong is really crucial uh, and protections for religious beliefs is, is a big part of it. I agree. I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, that Governor Cuomo, quite frankly, really overstepped with his measures. And I think that the, one of the things uh, that led to the, to the ruling was the idea that churches and synagogues, which are built to hold large gatherings, can do that in a safe manner with a lot of social distancing without being limited to 25 or 10, which were the numbers that were being used by the state rules. When you have a church that can hold a thousand people, the church's argument was we could cut back to 25% capacity and it would be safe. Um, and it's not fair to a church to try, try and say gatherings of more than 25, that just doesn't apply in, in the case of, of something like that. I think there's a certain amount of logic to that ruling. And I also think to be quite frank with you, I think the governor certainly took on the Orthodox Jewish community in Brooklyn. And that's a complicated issue. And I think to some degree, he had a right to take, take on that community because they were doing some things that weren't uh, necessarily safe. But that's a dangerous precedent for the governor to come down on a religious community in any capacity. So it's complicated, but I think, I think that what the, the ruling said was, you can't do something to the churches that treats them in a different way. And I think that they felt like the, the way the governor handed down those mandates about gatherings was just not fair to churches and synagogues. To single out churches and synagogues specifically, you're saying, to treat them differently? Yeah. Bars, bars and restaurants or, you know, other other businesses that are open that had a percentage capacity or, or whatever. Is that correct? Yeah, I really love debates that you can hear both sides and, the, and both sides really make good points because one side said, well, the argument was, well, you're, you're allowing liquor stores to be open, but not churches and synagogues. That doesn't make any sense. However, the flip side argument of that is, well, there's a very different thing between gathering inside a building for an hour and praying and singing and, and having, you know, you, you know, no matter how socially distant you are, you're inside a building for an hour. You're in a liquor store for five minutes tops and, and you know, you're in and out and, and that's a, a different experience. And 
uh, you know, those are interesting debates. And, and I think it really does come down to going back, Bill, to, to the original exchange we had. It was about the First Amendment. I feel like the, the court did back up that we need to be extra careful when it comes to rules uh, regarding uh, churches and, and, and synagogues. Uh, the, those, are, the, those are critical. And, and by the way, I think the other part of this is, so just because the government says it's okay doesn't mean houses of worship can't pass their own more restrictive rules in, this, in the idea being it's supportive of, of being part of the community too. And I think that's where we are. And I think most have done exactly that. So it's a, it's a really fascinating debate in the middle of all of this. It seems to me then that Cuomo really blew it by trying to say only 10 people or 25 when if he had said you can have 25% capacity or 30% capacity more in lines with what was lauded like um, dining options or things like that, then maybe this would have never gone to the Supreme Court. He did change those rules before the ruling even came down um, to try and bring it back into compliance because I think they saw the writing on the wall. But the court's ruling said, well, that's capricious. You can, the, the, the governor changed it at the last minute doesn't mean he can't change it right back. So they still issued the ruling based on his, his earlier move, which I think makes sense. So let me just make sure I understand. So the Supreme Court ruling doesn't really say anything about capacity or being in line with what other businesses are doing in the state. I mean, so like, I'm just, I'm just playing devil's advocate. So like, let's say you have a congregation somewhere outside of New York that doesn't believe that COVID is a thing and doesn't believe that masks help. Can they pack their mega churches with 5,000 parishioners and be covered by the Supreme Court ruling? It's a great question. We're probably beyond my scope of, of knowledge of the ruling at this point, but I, I think it left open the possibility that it will make every state a little more careful about how it treats houses of worship when, it, when it's dealing with the pandemic. And I think you've already seen that in California. The courts there uh, just issued a ruling this week that basically deferred to the Supreme Court decision and said limits on those kinds of gatherings at churches are now under review. And, and the, the Supreme Court ruling really changes uh, the way they're looking at those. You know, honestly, I do remember seeing a few weeks ago, there was a, a wedding in the Hasidic community in Brooklyn, and it looked like there were thousands of people there unmasked. Like, is that going to be something that can happen again now? I think yes. I think this is where the rubber hits the road with the pandemic. And let's broaden the conversation. It's, it's also about Thanksgiving and, and, you know, the pleas of government not to gather, but people did gather. And we are seeing numbers go up. And that's going to happen at Christmas time, too, and, and Hanukkah. And People are going to come together. And we, for months and months and months, when we talked about the pandemic, it was, it was a pleasure to say that locally we were doing everything right and our numbers were staying low and uh, we're the exception and we're setting a, setting a pace for the, well, that's all gone now. I, I think we got a false sense of security from that. I mean, maybe not false at the time. I think it was, it was a lot easier to... Um, you know, to be out and, and to be doing things. And, and now it's time to kind of ratchet back a little bit. And, you know, I mean, whether enforcement becomes, to, to Annette's question, I think enforcement becomes the question too. If, if, a, if a congregation chooses to ignore the rules, I, I, I can't see after the Supreme Court ruling, the state coming in and trying to, to enforce, you know, whatever rules 
there are, but we all just need to hope that that that's just not going to happen in the first place, that, that people will see the numbers rising and, and will say, hey, you know, like the congregations here in the East End, that, that you know, we're going to put these safety measures in place um, to be part of the broader community um, as well as, as our internal community, I would hope. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Michelle, is that what you found in your story? It, it is. If you look at um, a church like Most Holy Trinity, their parish hall can seat 600 people. And so they're limiting that to 300. They are quadrupling their offerings. They're bringing in a freelance priest from Montauk so that they can do that. So I think that people are... By quadrupling their offerings, you mean having more number of services? Correct. Okay. Right. Can you say anything about communion? Because I know that's like, you know... That's got to be a no-no now, like the, you know, putting, giving someone something to uh, put in their mouth and drinking from cups of wine, I guess. Did they say anything about how they're handling that? They did. They said that they're changing the order of the service. So I am Jewish, so I don't know exactly the order that this happens myself. But from what I understand, it has been moved to the end of the service so that people aren't walking past each other, sitting back down, getting back up, leaving uh, the drinking of the wine, I believe, has been mixed altogether. BYOB now, you got to just bring your own. Like. That's right. <laughs> so they're just eating what they eat <laughs> instead. You know, the drinking of the wine, as an aside, that's, a, that's something that started in my lifetime uh, in the Catholic Church uh, because there was no wine involved in the communion service when I was a kid. It was designed to get all of us back. Who had <laughs> like, wait a minute, they're drinks. giving wine? I would have stayed a little longer. Hey, hey Joe, when you were a kid, did you ever, um, did you ever play communion with oh. Necco wafers? Do you remember Necco wafers? They were the exact shape and size of, of the communion Bill, wafers. And we were, yeah. when we were kids, we were, we would just, we, we gave each other communion all the time. <laughs> What? I grew up Catholic and very much as a child wanted to be a priest. And so I would celebrate mass all the time uh, in my house. And then I hit puberty and realized that was probably not going to be an option for me. So, uh, but, but I did, I actually very, I, I used to use crackers and things to, to say mass. I, I really, I, I, we were talking before we started recording that I was an altar boy for years and years and years. And I went on to be a lector, you know, the person who reads the readings uh, in church. It was a big part of my life. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, you're right about the Necco wafers. They are exact. They are the perfect size and shape. Perfect size. Yeah. They wouldn't let us girls become um, altar girls, which really offended me and was one of the slides. That was not a thing when I was a kid, at least in our church. I think probably our priests had the same idea as your, your home parish priest. We didn't have any, any girls as altar, altar servers. You know, now they're, now that they can do that. And I think that it just keeps them engaged a lot longer than maybe they would be otherwise. But I come, you may not know this. I come from a very long line of, of priests and nuns. And my, my great uncle was, was the Bishop of Galveston, Texas. 
in in 1900 hurricane wow. and i guess he was like there's all sorts of plaques and statues to him he, he was um oh that's cool i didn't know that rebuild it. he built like tons of um of parishes for the um, spanish-speaking population of galveston as well so, fun fact we have a family photo out front of my grandmother and her sister the sister uh sister norena was her name apparently yeah yeah, I had a sister. My, my another aunt was like Sister Wilhelmina or something. Sounds like sounds like somebody you would not want to get um, as a teacher in Catholic school. <laughs> when I was in Catholic school, our principal's name, uh, her name was Sister Sebastian, mm. and and my my teacher's name was Sister William, who we would call Sister Bill behind her back. Uh, which I have a feeling she wouldn't have liked. But <laughs> anyway, we are getting a little off track. Michelle, do you have some stories about growing up in the Jewish faith that we can uh, we can give equal equal opportunity to here? Oh gosh, I mean, not really. <laughs> we uh, we like to get together, and the Jews know how to throw a party. But um, <laughs> outside of did, that, did, I'm not that familiar with Jewish rituals. Is there a place for like kids to be involved in in services or anything like that? Uh, I mean, we have Sunday school. And so the kids would be incorporated into our Sunday morning services. But once you're bar and bat mitzvahed, you know, you kind of become one with the congregation. You kind of graduate to the adult services. And that's pretty much it. Gotcha. <laughs> so you're listening to Religion Today. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, about Judaism that always struck me, which I love, is that it feels like, like um, so many of the traditions are based at the home and that it's all it's really about being with family and friends and doing whatever you're going to do around around your own menorah or in your own you know passover table it just seems like the ritual is very much rather than a, a somewhere else you can do a lot of the ritual just with your own immediate family that's very true and there's also a lot of traditions that involve food which we love uh, so that's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, you know, celebrating uh, holidays like Passover and Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, uh, virtually this season, and now Hanukkah, really has been kind of a devastating blow to the Jewish community because we are so used to gathering just like we are for Thanksgiving, you know, so that's been really difficult. It may be uh, not a great thing to, to say uh, in the midst of watching the numbers go up, but I do worry that we talk about the health crisis, and we do have a serious health crisis with with the pandemic and the numbers going up. But there is an emotional and and, and a mental health crisis as well. Uh, the isolation, and you again, you talked about that in your story, and, and uh, so did the the clergy that you spoke to in the story. That that this is about the body, but it's also about the spirit, and and I think all of us. As I, as I said earlier, kind of walking around wounded. And I worry about the, the impact of that, uh, not just for the next month, but, but in, as we head into 2021, it's going to be, uh, it's taken a toll. It really is. And, and, and I, think, I think you're shining a spotlight on the church and, and synagogues and the, the faith community and how it's affecting them is, is a reminder of that. It's, it's just, it's so devastating in so many different ways. I think that we really are going to see the ramifications of all of this on mental health as we tick into the winter and the spring. The Jewish Center of the Hamptons is trying to get a little bit ahead of it. They're hosting um, an emotional well-being virtual workshop 
uh, with a psychotherapist, just so people can kind of address these issues during the winter season as we head into the holidays, which is a difficult time for a lot of people. So I think that's a really great initiative. Yeah, it's a, it's a stressful time anyway. And as you said, winter's coming still. And, and you know, once we get through the holidays, uh, that's going to be yet another stressor for everybody is just dealing with uh, the, the arrival of, of winter proper and everybody's going to be sealed up. It's going to, it's going to be a long winter, I'm afraid. Um, and we can only hope the vaccines uh, arrive quickly and, and we can start that process. But even that process is going to be months and months and months before uh, we're back to anything close to normal. It's going to take a long time with the vaccines, but once once they start arriving, I think, and once people start getting them, then you see that light at the end of the tunnel, and and I think that helps with the, hopefully helps with the mental health aspect of it. Is is it's not there? There's no longer that unknown. It's it's like I think we're you know we're rounding that corner, and you know the numbers may be up right now, but but we can look forward to the next few months of seeing the numbers come back down and level off again as, as more and more people get inoculated, I, I hope. Well, speaking of light, it just so happens that tonight, this very evening, they are lighting the Christmas tree in um, Sag Harbor. Um, so they're doing light up at like 530, which is a longstanding tradition that they do in Sag Harbor. And I don't know if anyone's been to the, the uh, everybody who lives out here knows this, but all of the, the villages out here decorate their streets really wonderfully. They get, um, live Christmas trees that are placed at intervals up and down Main Street and they're all lit and everything goes on at once. So that will be fun. Um, but Michelle, when does Hanukkah officially start? Because we're um, approaching the first night of Hanukkah as well. And they do have a menorah down at um, the windmill, near the windmill in Sac Harbor. So they do the menorah light up as well. But when is that? It's Michelle? Thursday night. And then it lasts Thurs for eight nights, as we know. The Thursday night meeting? December 10th. Oh, next week. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah, and a bunch of the synagogues are doing uh, menorah lightings uh, all over the place, little pop-up menorah lightings. So if you can catch one, catch one. And the good thing is it's like a lot of those are done outside, so you can get away with that. Exactly. Right? Socially distanced, outdoors, safe, safe, safe. Nice. I will miss the uh, Parade of Lights in Southampton Village this year. That's going to be, but it's not the first year we've gone without it. One year it was canceled uh, just recently uh, because of an ice storm. Uh, we had to go without. So it's it's not the first time we've been without the Parade of Lights, but that's such a great tradition. But yeah, you don't want those kind of crowds on the street. By the way, what's interesting, we're talking about the spiritual side. Um, if you can take a step back from the pandemic for a second and look at the numbers in a more clinical way, it's a real testimony to the science because scientists have been saying all along that we were keeping the numbers in check by our behavior and if we didn't follow that behavior, the numbers would go up. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened, that, that when we started to slip because of uh, Thanksgiving holidays and we started to come in indoors and we got impatient, the numbers did go up just, just as they said. I mean, this is, there's been a lot of challenge to the, te to the science in the last year uh, for a variety of, in a variety of ways. Uh, and I think this really backed up the fact that we should be listening to the immunologists and, and others who are telling us how to deal with a, with a crisis like this. They know what they're talking about. And, and we're seeing the sad, the sad evidence of that. They, they predicted this about as well as it could be predicted. So we should have faith in the science is what you're saying. There you go. There you go. That's the takeaway. This is actually a good, good time to get in a plug, too. We've set up a, a charitable 
effort for this holiday season. We're calling it the Holiday Express. The Express News Group set up a GoFundMe page. You can just search for Holiday Express. And we're going to collect money from uh, anybody who's willing to make a donation on that page. And we're going to spread it around four local charities, one from each of our coverage areas that really do provide direct help to families during this time of the year. And that means not just gifts, but food and clothing and necessities. Uh, we, we picked four great organizations. The money's all going to them, uh, with the exception of the fee that you have to pay to GoFundMe to organize this. We're not taking a dime of it. It's all going straight through to them. So I would encourage people. And, and one of the things I, I hope we do is encourage people, you know, the Secret Santa it's great, but if everybody's working from home anyway, and I think everybody can sort of do without the $10 secret Santa gift, I think I would encourage people to think about maybe as uh, businesses and organizations to make donations to this effort, uh, the, the Holiday Express effort instead. It's just a, a different way to, to mark the holiday and, and really show some support for our neighbors who really need it. And that money's likely to stay in the community too. Absolutely. 100%. It's, it's for very local charities. It's Brian Tiemann's charity in um, West Hampton Beach, which has, it's called um, Help for Local Families, because as he said, uh, he didn't really think about the name when he created it at the beginning of the pandemic. He would have given it more thought, he says, if, uh, if, he'd, if he'd realized he raised something like $30,000 just by himself for local families. And it went all of every single dollar went directly to help families in the West Hampton Beach area during the families and businesses in, during the pandemic. Uh, Heart of the Hamptons in Southampton Village, uh, the Springs Food Pantry, and uh, Sag Harbor Helpers, which is Cindy Capalbo's organization in Sag Harbor. Those are four charities that are, are going to provide every dollar of that to local folks. So these, all of these charities are really focused on pandemic relief and have been since the beginning of this, right? Yes. And, and I think to some degree, uh, I think it'll also allow uh, a little bit of help for families maybe who need to buy gifts for kids and things like that. But I think the focus has mainly been on uh, just the necessities and making sure that, uh, that people have what they need for the holiday season. All right, let's do it. Sounds good. So get out there and donate. So you have your menorah ready to go, Michelle, next week? Oh yeah. It is <laughs> locked and loaded and I'm going to be I'm going to be practicing my latke recipe and perfecting those bad boys. I'm very excited. You know, potatoes and onions yeah. you can't go wrong. So latkes and cookies. <laughs> yeah, latkes and cookies. I didn't grow up Jewish, but I really feel like somewhere there must be a recessive gene back there because I just love all of that stuff. Oh, it's so good. I mean, you can't go wrong. It's potatoes and onions and applesauce and sour cream if you're into that. A little salt and pepper. Comfort and joy. Uh, Comfort and on. joy. That's what it is. Yes. yes. And that's, we can all use a lot of that in a, this year. In a potato. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly.
Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.